Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski here today, very good friend from very chilly Chicago, Illinois, Heather Snyder, trial attorney. Heather, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I uh, It's funny. I'm in Florida, so I'd say I'm, I'm a little cooler or a little warmer than you, but it was uh, 31 degrees when I woke up this morning, so even a little chilly in the sunshine state. Um, well, so we are so um, happy to have you on the show. Now, I know we've had a very, uh, you've had a very exciting uh, recent job change. Tell us about the new firm and the types of things you're doing over there. Because I think that part of job changes in law, well, like with anything, I think are probably pretty stressful at first. But then once you make the move, you get settled, things start to fall into place. So how's it going? It's going really well. You know, it's been about two months now and made the change to Siegel McCambridge and very happy to be here. It's been a very refreshing and supportive experience. And obviously it's also very stressful to make the transition, <laughs> but at the same point in time, it's also had a lot of support behind us with all of the new attorneys and staff and everyone and yeah, moving into what we do best with cases and getting out there with, a trial to start off this year, a Zoom bench trial actually in Cook County. Well, I want to talk about that because that did receive some news. And I know your colleague Paul was working very hard on that as well. And so he was giving me um, updates. So kind of, can you walk us through, I guess, give us the anatomy and physiology of a Zoom bench trial? Um, how, um, how, how does this process work? And what were the, what were some of the pros and cons that you saw, maybe even surprises. Sure. Yeah. So it was set up, you know, obviously the judge, she was the host of the okay. Zoom, just like in any situation, really. And basically it was, we had set up our own little like courtroom at our office. Plaintiff's counsel did the kind of same exact thing. We each had podiums and trying to make it as <laughs> lifelike as possible, but, you know, okay. staring at each other over computer screens and everything. Yeah. And so what I will say is that it actually made it kind of a little less stressful though than being in the courtroom because you're also kind of on your own home turf. You're True. it's just a lot more relaxing of an environment and everyone knows obviously Zoom it's it's a lot less formal. And even the judge, you know, it's a lot less formal. She was at her lake home and you know, but it was still you know, a bench trial. It was, you know, a great experience. I, I, it just, yeah, this virtual thing, it's, um, you know, it's, a, uh, it's, it's really a double-edged sword. Cause I do think people behave differently when they're communicating virtually than they do in person. I don't think there's any question, um, about that. I think it's a big deal. The fact that, um, if you go into your office and you do something virtual, it's a lot different than doing it from home. I've noticed that with a lot of the witness uh, trainings that we've done. If you have a witness that goes into the law firm and then they set them up on Zoom to communicate with me, things have worked out really well. Um, it's when the witness is at home and there's dogs barking and kids running in the background. Uh, yeah. Did you have, so during the zoom bench trial, how, so how long was the trial? 
It was five days from start and, to start. And what if any technical issues uh, came up? Because I've seen, I mean, I've, I've rarely heard of a Zoom deposition going perfectly from start <laughs> to finish. So I'm sure there had to be some types, some type of hiccups. Oh, of course. I mean, starting even off right away with just trying to make sure there was screen sharing capabilities to show yeah. exhibits to the judge. Paul, during his opening, you know, we had some technical difficulties and, you know, it's kind of that whole thing of how savvy is the judge, mediator, attorney, yeah. whoever is using, you know, Zoom, for instance. Um, you know, that was one. We also actually had a audio difficulties with one of our experts yeah. during it as well, like delayed things. And, you know, it's kind of one of the catch 22s with doing this via Zoom and everything is all the technical glitches and everything that can happen. And she, you know, she was on Wi-Fi and it just wasn't connecting properly, which happens all the time in depositions as well. And that's, and that's tough. Um, because I could see, I mean, what if you're in the middle of your opening that you've practiced and you, I mean, you're going, you've got your rhythm, right? You're in your groove. And then it's like, okay, timeout cut. It's almost like a Hollywood production where it's like cut. Okay. Start over. Um, I think that would be uh, really difficult. Did they have wit uh, witness testimony during the bench trial? Yes. So there were multiple witnesses put on every day. Everyone was via Zoom besides just the our office and then plaintiff's counsel being in the same room with their co-counsel and everything. Everyone else was, you know, either at home or yeah. the experts or sometimes in their offices. Interesting. So let me ask you this, how, and maybe it's similar to the depositions, how did objections um, work during uh, Q and A? Uh, of witnesses was it actually possible to get an objection in or was it people talking over each other because I imagine that has to be difficult and then the court reporters probably losing their mind at the same time how what was that experience like so definitely we're able to get the objections in but there were a lot of times where everyone's talking over each other because I feel like it's just made it a lot less formal that people interrupt each other more often when they're doing something via zoom and, you know, and then you have the court reporter always like trying to get everything down, but then like also trying to jump in and sometimes even being muted or not muted. And then, I mean, we also had issues with the court reporter being able to have mm -hmm. the audio working properly and everything like that. Interesting. I think this is um, at least my prediction and based on things I've heard, I think for most areas, this, this zoom thing, um, is a is a band-aid on a seeping wound uh to get us through to the other side i think for the most part i think everybody everybody prefers the in-person uh for multiple reasons um i'm wondering if um things like um witness preparation may actually continue on zoom because there's a there's a staggering cost savings to clients. <laughs> I added one up from one of my clients and they're like, hey, like, by the way, how much money have we saved by doing Zoom? And I looked down, I was like, uh, $78,000. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. You know, airplane tickets are expensive. Um, you've seen my bar tab. That's that's never pretty. Uh, <laughs> hot yeah, hotel. But you start adding that up exponentially over the year it makes you wonder uh, if things like, you know, um, witness preparation and um, um, 
certain kind of strategy meetings will stay virtual or those will actually go back to in-person. I, I really don't know the answers to those things, but I, I think that for the most part, Zoom has gotten us uh, to the to through this most of these issues. I think that with some of the issues, I've heard about some of the jury trials being played with on Zoom. Obviously, not for huge cases, but for smaller cases that have been disastrous uh, for multiple. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to keep anyone's attention when you're talking about being on a video. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like you know. I can just imagine saying, you know, okay, time out, uh, you know, juror number seven, uh, can you please uh, put your pants on, uh, put down, <laughs> put down the hot pocket and the Miller light, and please listen to this expert's testimony. Uh, that's why I said, unless jurors are in some other location that's more formal, they're they're going to behave very differently um, at home. So I hope I, I hope those just I'd rather postpone trials and then get back to get back to um, Get back to real life so well that's great that you got to that you got to be part of that uh part of history um speaking of illinois and you you and i had had a discussion um they they i think this came out last week um and i had to do it not a double take a triple take can you talk to us about the proposal that the uh i'm not sure if it's the governor the legislature whatever in illinois um, is proposing regarding civil lawsuits. And everybody needs to listen to this because if this would ever catch on in other states, I think it would present some monumental problems. Yeah, so it's currently a House-passed bill that's essentially sitting on our governor's you know, desk waiting for a signature or a veto. And it's with regards to starting prejudgment interest at wow. 9%, starting with what they're saying is the notice of the injury. So, okay, so let's let's walk through this. Yeah. So, okay, so what? So, who would determine the common denominator as far as what the interest would be pulled from? Because obviously, if you're the plaintiff attorney, you're like, it's a fifty million dollar case, right? And if you're the defense, you're like, well, not so fast. How would that process actually work? So, it would not ever even come into play until there's a verdict against the defendant. Okay, and that's when the prejudgment interest would you know, actually play okay. it account. But, you know, I can only imagine that it is going to be used against, you know, insurance companies, companies in general, defendants to just be like, well, you need, you know, like my settlement demand's not going to go up because yeah. you are at risk for all of this interest that you're going to have to pay me. That's, um, that's insane. When is, um, when are they expecting it? A judgment on that is there a deadline or is it just kind of sitting there it's just kind of sitting there and it's interesting because it's you know a lot of cases it or states sorry it starts actually with like the filing of a complaint is when prejudgment yeah. interest starts whereas here they're saying notice of injury so that could mean you know you're in the hospital wow and there's medical malpractice and it's, so it's like are you saying if the doctor knows there's a complication on you know, February 4th, 2021, that they're on notice that day. And so prejudgment interest would start running. So, so I'm assuming the plaintiff bar essentially came up with this and uh, paid some good lobbying money to get this thing through. Is that what happened? I mean, that's what seems like what happened. Oh, and wow. I know there's been a lot of pressure because of, you know, the COVID pandemic and yeah. people, the insurance companies, everyone's just drawing everything out. 
But in my experience, I've also had it where plaintiff attorneys are drawing out the cases as well and not necessarily working them up or pushing to move things along either. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. We'll have to keep keep an eye out on that because I would imagine if it succeeds in Illinois, other states, you're going to start to see some some movement and a pretty big battle over that. Wow. Um, shifting gears, you, know, you and I um, at your previous firm and now at your current firm have been battling um, these uh, plaintiff reptile attorneys for quite some time. Um, I don't see this problem going away anytime soon. If, if anything, which I predicted years ago, this is only multiplied. And I think the way, I think one of the reasons it's multiplied is that uh, it's working. <laughs> number one, it's working. Um, and number two, the, the verdicts, you get the whole nuclear verdict issue, which I've done a lot of speaking and writing on. It's um, I think for the reptile um, attorney, I think it's pedal to the metal. I think that you're going to see more of this. Is that, has that been your experience that it's, it's, it's actually popping up more? Absolutely. And, you know, obviously you need to know your opponent and figure mm -hmm. out like, are they really going to use it? How good are they at using it? Yeah. You know, Paul and I were both actually working on a case this past fall where the plaintiff counsel very aggressive with the reptile theory. And it is, you know, you just have to make sure your witnesses, everyone is prepared and that you're also prepared to be ready to combat it when it comes to the depositions and. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I've noticed is that because of Zoom and the technology, it's kind of naturally slowed down things, which I think has taken a lot of uh, wind out of the sale of the reptile cross-examination because one of the one of the 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 foundations of the effective uh, reptile cross examination is to get the speed going and get that momentum going with the safety questions, and then by the time you get to that tenth, eleventh, twelfth agreement, you've got this witness locked in, and you're going to do your damage. Well, because of the technology and the sound issues, and you know the screen freezes up. And just a slight delay, which is a delay. And then the court reporter needing everybody to really slow down. It's taken a lot of speed out of the equation. So I've seen a lot of the reptile um, attorneys actually struggle to get what they want because of Zoom and the technology. So that's been, I guess, a, um, a real positive from you know, all these Zoom depositions taking place. I think the issue is once we go back to good, which I think will probably be some sort, it'll probably be regionally, right? Mm -hmm. um, where you're going to start seeing depths uh, live again after you get vaccinations and, 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 and more testing and, and things get back to some relative um, normal. And then I would imagine that the, um, the reptile folks will be back in full attack mode when it, when it goes live. But uh, I can assure you, uh, you know, working, working nationally, and I know that you, know, you work in several different states, uh, I think it's a problem that um, is not going to go away. Uh, luckily, um, and I'm going to knock on wood and cross fingers, I, I've had a lot of phone calls from clients, even insurance clients, and those are the ones that are getting abused by the nuclear verdicts because their system stinks, right? They're very reactive and not proactive. They've actually been calling pretty early telling me, hey, you know, we don't want to get nailed by another nuclear verdict. Maybe the positive thing about the whole nuclear verdict issue 
is that you're, <laughs> you wake up the next morning, you read the paper, you're going, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that claims manager that's on the other end of this nuclear verdict. Boy, maybe I should do some things um, differently. Have you seen your clients maybe, have they opened up a little bit more to being aggressive early in cases and maybe paying for that witness prep or paying for that mock trial to, to try to get ahead earlier than rather than being reactive? Yes, we definitely have seen that. I think they understand, and especially when you can convey it to them, like, I've seen this before. I've seen this attorney, or I know how this attorney is going to operate. Like, they are going to go after, you know, the insured's employees, 30B6 witnesses, all oh, of yeah. you. you. You need to be prepared because really you need to be proactive instead of reactive, especially yeah. with the depositions. That's truly where you can win or lose a case. If you have a really bad 30B6 witness deposition, it's going to be hard to combat that with even just trying to settle a case. Yeah, you're right. So the, our, new, our new cert, we have a new cert. It's actually not new. It's probably two years old. It's just, it doesn't get a lot of attention as our other services do. But I had clients calling me saying, do you have some sort of 30B6 boot camp? And of course, my answer was, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. Like, because like we need to run these people through a tryout, like a like you no know, the NFL combine. Like, I need their 40 speed, their vertical jump, their bench press, because and they're right. And I got this, but they said they're like our most knowledgeable person on this topic may not be the best witness. And our best witness may not be the most knowledgeable. And so what I've seen, which I think is brilliant, now we're doing a lot of it, particularly for big companies, because a lot of these 30B6 witnesses, they've been around for 20, 25, 30 years. Well, some of them got COVID. Some of them decided to retire. And so now you had this group of folks that maybe are retired now, and now you got 40-somethings, right? Gen Xers, essentially, going into the... They're going to be the next 25 years. Um, and boy, they're different people <laughs> and they don't have the, ex they don't have the experience. And so can you talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, cause I've seen some, I have seen some big time arguments. I'm sure you've been through this where you've come into a case, the corporate counsel's telling you, Hey, here's who our 30 B six corporate rep should be. And then you assess this person and you're like, eh. I don't think this is the right person. Have you had that situation and, and how have you worked it out? Because actually I've been called in and I'll be the, the referee, right? The third party to say, well, let's have Bill, you know, put them through the assessment process, put them through the witness training process. Let's put this witness, let's make them perform to prove they can do it. Because I think oftentimes the corporation thinks they know who it should be but that person may not be the right person. Can you speak a little bit about how that can create some tension on the legal team? Yeah, it absolutely can create some tension, but obviously, you know, trying to explain to them, like, if we use this specific witness, it might not be the best for the case. And it could ultimately potentially be detrimental to the case mm -hmm. and just, I mean, you can really base it on just meeting with certain employees and being like, either yeah. sometimes it's they might not know enough or they might just not present the best or understand the questions and just kind of feed into the kind of reptile type questions of yeah. safety and all of that and just running through them and 
than even trying to go back over with those questions with them after explaining to them what's kind of occurring and they just don't necessarily get it. And it's just trying to explain to the client, like, we need to make sure we pick the best option here. And maybe it's not, it could be someone newer, younger, who actually understands what's what's happening. It it may not be the most popular option in the company, but maybe the long-term or short-term and long-term the best option. So I see a lot of that happening now because I do think the selection of that individual is absolutely vital um, going forward, obviously for the deposition and then for future, for future trial work. Um, Last question. Then we can ask, uh, we can, uh, we can wrap up this uh, podcast. Tell me what it's like. And again, and again, this is, you're not expecting this question and I don't know the answer. I'm just curious as a consultant on a podcast. I was um, in 2020, what is it like to be a young and yes, you are young. Don't even mess with me on that one to be, to be, to be a young female trial attorney. What is, what is, what is that like? Cause I think, um, you know, I see a lot of things, uh, particularly DRI has like their women's group of attorneys. I see, I've worked with a ton of just um, amazing uh, veteran um, um, female attorneys. What, what has it been like kind of going through the grind um, you know, going through promotion, getting experience um, as a as a female attorney, particularly in the big city, in the big city, no less. You know, I mean, obviously, it can be harder as a female, and especially with older male colleagues at times, as well as not necessarily always getting the same amount of respect and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still go to depositions at times, and I'm asked if I'm the court reporter. <laughs> It has happened since the beginning and it's That's still terrible. That is so, that is so bad. You that know, so bad. <laughs> but I've yeah. also had a lot of uplifting coworkers who really try to help promote, you know, I mean, you know, Paul, he has always like helped promote me and stood by me yes. and helped, Absolutely. you know, give me the opportunities as well to succeed. And I think just, you know, as a female attorney, unfortunately, it feels like at times you have to work harder and smarter at times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, I just wanted your, I just wanted your perspective. And uh, I know Paul, Paul speaks the world uh, of you and he's happy to have you on the team. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is long overdue. Um, I will be up in Chicago next week. Uh, I am really not looking forward to it uh, as it's going to be. February in Chicago is not the place to be. Um, I'm more the May, June, July Chicago guy. Um, but um, but I, I hope that we talk uh, soon. Good luck with all of your work coming up. Uh, be safe out, uh, um, out there. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, thank you. You stay and, safe as well. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you so much for participating again in the Litigation Psychology Podcast. We will see you next time.